All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new, for any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1,423 points, or 4.2%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 171 points, or 4%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 564 points, or 4.4%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 11.2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 14.9%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 22.4%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So do we want to summarize Friday as attack of the machines? Or the the word of the day for Friday was pain, and not because of the market's performance, but because what was said by Jay Powell at his Jackson Hole speech Friday morning. Twice. So, so Twice. before before we get too deep into the show, I want to apologize to our father because he got on me last weekend for saying we talked about the Fed too much. So let me just apologize in advance, Dad. We're going to do it again this week because, as Kyle just said, uh, the word of the week is pain. And I don't know how many Federal Reserve governors or actually chairman of the Federal Reserve has ever used the word pain not once, but twice in a speech. Does anybody have a statistic on that? Uh, no, but I know back in the day we would always gauge the thickness of Alan Greenspan's briefcase. But uh, don't ever remember <laughs> hearing true. the word pain. But obviously the word pain triggered the algorithms and the high-frequency trading Right, and we saw the end result with Friday's market close. So let me but, let me let me put the quotes that actually contain the word pain. Powell predicted there would be quote very likely be some softening of labor market conditions and quote some pain end quote for households and businesses quote a failure to res- restore price stability would mean far greater pain, end quote. So there's the two, twice he used the word pain. 
some pain for households and businesses, and if they failed in their quest to defeat inflation, it's going to mean far greater pain down the road. So as we had talked about here probably in the last month, because the markets have enjoyed this great rally off the bottom we had in mid-June. I think it was 18%, something like that, off, Roughly. Of the, June, off the June low. Mm-hmm. And all of it, and there was, I think I'd said this last week, maybe the week before, maybe I said it both weekends, that the, 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 one of the reasons why the market was having this rally was this notion from investors that the Fed was getting ready to pivot, that rate cuts were around the corner, that they weren't going to have to raise interest rates as much as people thought. And what happened this week? And Well, the Federal Reserve chairman just looked at those doves flying in the sky and got out his shotgun and just shot the heck out of them. And dove season that, starts and, next week, too, that's by right, the way. That, that's, so. yeah, that's right. I, I'm, just, I'm, putting all, I'm putting all these references together. So all those dovish investors that were thinking that that the Fed's going to slow the rate, slow the pace of interest rate increases or stop or pivot to interest rate cuts next year, the chairman just broke out his shotgun and shot all the doves out of the sky, and we have a 1,000 points down. On, on Friday. Now, Kyle's going to tell us about the volume. Kyle's going to tell us about, oh, this and that. You know, it was the lowest volume of the year. Really doesn't much matter. Well, second it, lowest volume. It, it really doesn't much matter second, because it's down a thousand points. And the Federal Reserve Governor used the word pain twice. So there's yes. definitely pain felt in investors' portfolios on Friday for sure. Okay. And so. Yes, I'm going to bring up volume. Obviously, we know that the algorithms and the high-frequency trading computers honed in on the, the, the use of the word pain twice because we saw the end effect with the Dow being down over a 1,000 points on Friday. But with this being the second lightest volume, trading volume all year, it's just important for investors and listeners to understand that when you have this volume, this light, there's just a very small number of participants trading amongst themselves. This wasn't a huge amount of sell orders coming in from institutional managers or individual investors making a beeline for the exits. That's why volume is so important. Now, if I saw volume spike 50, 60, 70% above the moving average, daily moving average, then that might be telling us from a technical standpoint that, you know what, the retail investor has now gotten scared. A bunch of the big institutional, bigger players in the market have gotten scared, and they put their sell orders in. But when you have volume almost 30% on Friday below the daily moving average, that tells me it's just fewer participants that were doing this trading and primarily the algorithms keying in on this word pain. Well, yeah, I'm going to step in. The market's still down a thousand points. Volume this is light, true. The market's down a thousand points. The other thing that I got in, in just for quoting Powell here, he also said the historical record, uh, cautions strongly against prematurely loose, uh, loosening policy, meaning there ain't going to be no pivot. Now, 
We but also know at this point they changed their mind. They changed their mind on a dime before. But exactly, exactly, because it's know. all da- it's all data dependent. Have I been in the camp saying that I think the Fed's going to be cutting rates early in 2023? No. No, I don't think they're going to be cutting rates early in the first or second quarter of 2023, but we could be wrong, and it's all going to be a matter of what is in monetary inflation doing. That's going to be the catalyst that would potentially have them cutting interest rates. But if they just take their foot off of the interest rate increase accelerator just a bit, then that could be bringing in some more buying into the market. But we're going to have to pause right there because we've got to take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week and before we went to commercial break, just talking about the extremely light volume. Yes, the Dow Jones Industrial Average on Friday was down just a little bit over a 1,000 points, and primarily with the algorithms of high-frequency trading, in my opinion, focusing on the word pain that Chairman Powell used twice in his Jackson Hole Symposium speech. Jeff, I know you wanted to kind of continue the thought process. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, me, I'm sure. Let me let me continue. There's Here comes the sunshine. Just, there was more than just pain that was said in, in his speech twice. Powell declared the Federal Reserve, quote, must keep at it until the job is done, end quote. Fed chair said that successfully reducing inflation would probably result in lower economic growth for, quote, a sustained period, end quote. To do that, interest rates would need to stay at a level that restrains growth, quote, for some time, end quote. Now, gentlemen, what does keep at it until the job done? Is that could that be any more ambiguous? Right. But but that's the or, Fed. Hold on. Or, or a sustained period, ambiguous uh, growth, the restraining growth for, quote, some time. I mean, you talk about some ambiguous quotes here. What does the mar- market hate more than anything? The unknown. Uncertainty. uncertainty. Markets hate uncertainty. So none of these, none of these quotes uh, say put any definitive timeline on anything. Because as you said, Kyle. It's all day dependent. And I will also grant you, what were, what were they saying? What was the Fed chairman's speech a year ago in 2021 at Jackson Hole? They were talking about inflation being transitory. I was about yeah. to say that. That's <laughs> right? the other word, transitory. So, we, so we've gone from transitory to pain, and we're going to keep at it till the job's done. Now, here's a, here's a little bit of trivia. He was channeling a little bit of Volcker with the keep at it quote, because what was the title 
of Chairman Volcker's 2018 memoir that was released prior, just prior to his death. What was the title of that book? Keep at it. Keeping at it. That was the title to that book. So he was channeling some Volcker there in 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 today's speech. And our, our listeners may not know that Paul Volcker was the chairman of the Federal Reserve in the late 70s, early 80s. And there were a ton of, of interest rate increases from the Federal Reserve. That's when we had you know, 18% Fed funds rates, and we had 20-some-odd percent car loans and double-digit mortgage rates and, and inflation as high, if not higher, than we what we've had, uh, what we've seen here of late in, uh, in, the, in the statistics. So do I think that we're going to 18% Fed funds rate? No. No, I don't think we're going to 18% Fed funds rates. But one of the other things I've been saying is, you know, these one or two-tenths of a percent or three-tenths of a percent declines in inflation ain't going to do it. It's just not going to do it. The the Fed wants it done faster. And how do they get it done faster? The only way they they get it done faster is they raise interest rates faster. And, Jeff, to your point, what was the PCE or or personal consumer – Expenditures. Well, I, I can tell you what next day it was it was down slightly, and that's it, not the rate that that Powell and the Fed is looking for. Well, so, it, was, it 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 came in at, it came in at four point five six percent. But but explain this to me because we've been talking about it on this program now for probably well over a month, if not going on a month and a half, two months, that the Federal Reserve needs to change their mandate. This two percent mandate is pie in the sky. And I think the 2% mandate is pie in the sky, particularly with the administration that we have in D.C., because we know that oil, fuel costs are a bigger contributing factor to inflation. And we know that there is going to be zero changes to the energy policies in this country until Joe Biden is out of the White House and all the yahoos that are in his cabinet that are trying to completely green us tomorrow in this well, country. Okay. So there's no, so it's going to be next to impossible for us to get to that 2% mandate with the energy policy that we have in this country. And okay. when you look at well, hold on Jeff there's, and when nothing, you look there's nothing the Fed can do about energy policy. So no, no, no. forget I, the politics no, I, for a second. I understand forget that, the politics the, for a second. Forget the politics for a second. The reason that they're not going to come out and they're not going to lower the expectations to 4% anytime soon is this quote that I'm getting ready to give you. The longer the current bout of high inflation continues, the greater the chance that expectations of higher inflation will become entrenched, end quote. That was a warning from the Federal, Res- from the Federal Reserve Chairman. So they're not going to come out in the next two months, Kyle, and say that their new target is 4%. They would have zilch credibility. They're going to keep raising interest rates until they can get infl- – until they either push the economy to a more serious recessionary condition, and we can all agree – you know, yes, GDP, and I will get to that in a second. It doesn't feel like a recession, not with this unemployment rate and how much job, you know, what's going on with jobs and all that. Yeah, the GDP numbers say that we're in this classic recession, and the politicians are going to use it as a political a leverage here for the for the midterms, especially the Republicans. But the, I don't know that the Fed really feels like that we're in a recession 
And so that gives them cover to keep doing what they're doing. And what they're going to keep doing is they're going to keep raising interest rates because they're worried about long, yeah, about high inflation longer than it becomes entrenched in the economy. And that's their biggest worry of entrenched higher inflation. So I don't think they're going to – we would not see this, this change, this pivot to a 4% target from this 2% that they're still talking about until unemployment maybe has to go maybe well into the fours, which we're nowhere near. But even 4%, but even say 5% unemployment, it's still considered full employment from the econ 101 definition of full employment. But, but hold on, Joe, but, but, but here's the whole thing. And I'm not saying that the fed needs to change it to four, how about let's just go up to three. The long-term average of the core PCE is 3.22%. So I'm trying to figure out, Jeff, where the Fed came up with this 2% mandate when the long-term PCE is at 3.22%. Where do they come up with two? It should be set at three to begin with, not two. Well, inflation for 2010 to 2020 was below 2%. but on average, it had been higher than that, obviously, going back the last 50 years. So, I mean. Exactly. So where do they come up with this 2% mandate? And, again, back to the point about a deeper. I, I think we the, oh, to, to a real recession. And we talked about this on last weekend's show. I personally do not foresee a deeper, darker recession with the employment picture that we have. Even if employment slows down with companies freezing hiring, laying some people off. But the fact that there's still job hoarding, we talked about this on last weekend's show, some job hoarding, until there is massive destruction in the employment picture, which I just don't foresee that happening as we're all still recovering from the COVID pandemic from an employment standpoint and some employers realizing how tough it is to get good people. And now with this whole trend that's going on with the younger people about this quiet quitting, I don't know if you guys have read about that, where employees just do just enough to not get fired, and that this is trending all over social media, which is ridiculous, which basically is teaching mediocrity instead of a meritocracy. And I think it all started with the whole participation trophies that kids started getting all these <laughs> years ago. Go. You wow. know, so it's Here this whole we we're, the, the whole generations, you know, that are younger than us have now got this mentality where they're just going to do good enough to hold on to their job. It's not about it's about mediocrity. And that's make, make America average again. That yeah, that's exactly. No, yeah. that's you're exactly right, Joe. And this whole uh, quiet quitting BS well, is the, ridiculous. The, the Fed can't do anything about that. No, I understand the Fed can't do. You know what corrects corrects a lot of that? Harder economic times, more def- more more difficult economic conditions, and you know. But yeah, you look at stock, some industries, Jeff. You look at some industries like housing. It's some, it's yeah, it's some industries, and it just hasn't made it into the full economy yet. But I think it eventually will. I think I yeah, Ford still a lot of I cash. Ford, Ford, yeah, the cash is is dwindling day day by day by day. <clears throat> still a lot that needs to be spent. Just How much to get more back free money is left? We're getting the ten thousand dollars on the on the student loan repayment. Twenty thousand no, for a couple. <laughs> Well, I, I'm not. I'm just. I'm just saying. I'm, I, well, how many more? How much more free? What, what else is that still out there? 
I mean, well, that's going to get tied up in court, Jeff. That's going to get tied up in court. You're exactly right. It probably will never come to pass. That will and, never come to pass because he's starting to get shade from the left. And I when the left is throwing grand. shade, it's not It's not actually going to pass if the left is throwing shade. But let's take another pause. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So continuing our recap of the happenings of Wall Street, and again, I know, Jeff, you made an apology to Dad talking about the Federal Reserve. I know he hates that we talk about it, but it's so absolutely critical because that's what the market is so keenly focused on this year and all the handicapping that is going on in the portfolios and the monetary policy and what have you. But I read an interesting article. It was uh, in the Wall Street Journal earlier this past week, and it was written, if memory serves me correct, from an economist from Stanford talking about monetary inflation primarily running in a pendulum. And what he means by that is the whole, I guess, summary of the article is that inflation runs in different cycles for different reasons and that he truly believed that the Federal Reserve didn't have to have so much intervention in trying to contain monetary inflation and just allow the natural market forces to take place. Because we all know what has led to the higher monetary inflation that we're dealing with, and that's the COVID pandemic. And so the interesting point from the article, and it kind of really should make everyone really think, is remember post the financial crisis and the Federal Reserve back when it was uh, Ben Bernanke and then Janet Yellen, and they pretty much had the federal funds rate at zero. And then we get into Trump, and you got Jay Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and they were concerned about being able to reinflate to their 2% mandate, and they had rates at zero. And they still weren't able to get the federal funds rate to their mandate or get or getting, you know, to their mandate of 2% on monetary inflation. Because I'm looking right now at the core PCE chart that goes all the way back to June of 2020 on this chart. And we're looking at 1.13 month over month, 1%, less than 1%. So his whole point is is instead of the Fed doing all of this intervention with monetary policy and creating all this gyrations in the market and all this handicapping, just allow the market forces to take care of itself to bring monetary inflation down. And what I've been what I've been advocating for is as supply chains get back in line, as consumers that have been pent up in their homes for two years go out, get their traveling done, get their restaurant eating and their all the stuff done, that things will start to finally calm down when we all get back to life as normal. But that, I mean, think about that. The Fed had federal funds rate at zero, and they couldn't 
inflate to their 2% mandate. So why do they need to come in and hammer us with a higher federal funds rate to bring inflation down? Let market forces take care of themselves. Well, I think the problem is that the market forces, Kyle, were causing uh, rapid inflation. And 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 remember, we used to get we used to get calls from clients who would hear hear these these things on the radio show that hyperinflation was right around the corner, and we were going to turn into another third world country, and, and all heck was going to break loose, and we would call them and say, "No, we're not going to become a third world country, and we're not going to have you know 100 percent inflation, and that's not going to happen." And it didn't, and and I don't think. Uh, could it have happened if the market just if the if the Federal Reserve just left the, just left the market to do whatever it wanted to do? Well, didn't we see what happened there in the in the nineteen twenties into the nineteen thirties? Wasn't there something called the Great Depression? And one of the things that was created to try to prevent the Great Depression from happening again was the Federal Reserve. So well, then I would ask I, so, you. So, then, I, then, so, I, so I would, I would say, you know, since the Great Depression, we haven't had another Great Depression since the Federal Reserve was created. So I think there's a need for it. I don't, I, if you just let the market to its own devices the way that it is now, I mean, who knows what inflation would have been? Well, the, who knows well, what kind have, of insanity well, could have developed? Here's the other situation you look at. And you talk about domestic inflation. You look at global inflation right now. You look what's going on in Europe right now, in, in England, where they're going to have to pay for natural gas prices. They're having to put a cap on it. I mean, you look at your portfolio and you look at emerging markets, you look from an international perspective, and how much of an impact is global inflation going to make it even harder for us to get down to where we need to be? I mean, it's there's a lot. You look at Russia, the, the, the war in Russia. That's there, like to Jeff's point, there's all these things that you can't predict that have gone on pandemic, supply chain issues, and, and, and now you're looking at a huge run-up in, in energy uh, energy costs globally, and it's almost, I don't know, it's a lot to deal with, and I don't think the Fed's got, they don't have enough tools in the toolbox to deal with them. they got to use what they have, and this is the only thing they have. they got a hammer and they got a nail. They, you know, that's what they got. Well, so. talking about the thing, the situation over in the Eurozone, I mean, I was reading earlier this week that they could be looking at 15 to 16% inflation. Now, we've had double-digit inflation here in the U.S., you know, 14 15%, but that didn't occur, you know, the last time that occurred was really back in World War II, you know, during during the, the, the depths of, of World War II in the, you know, late 30s, early 40s, but the thing that's going on over in Europe is, yeah, Joe, they're putting a cap on their natural gas, but I was reading what that cap is. It's double what they paid the year before. And so there's going to be an extremely tough road to hoe when it comes to the international markets and emerging markets, particularly with this still zero COVID policy in China. So for any of our listeners that are working with these uh, legacy distribution systems that use these Monte Carlo analysis for portfolio management, allowing a computer as opposed to a human who has experience managing money in the trenches. If you're still sitting in 15, 20, 25% international exposure, you really have to start to question whoever you're working with. Why 
do I have this exposure? Because they're looking and staring down the barrel of much higher inflation that we've already seen here. Because I think our inflation has peaked, in my opinion, but it is yet to peak over in the eurozone because that natural gas situation with Russia is really going to be causing a ton of pain. And, and, and what has the European Central Bank done from an interest rate increase standpoint? One increase so far at a whopping half of 1%. That's it. So they are way behind the curve at getting in front of this. And you would think that they would at least take lead, you know, take a little bit of advice from what they're seeing here in the U.S. It's at least we're the Saudi Arabia of, of the world when it comes to natural gas. So we don't have the natural gas issues or energy issues, even with this administration in Washington, that they're seeing over in the Eurozone. So there's going to be a lot more pain to be felt over in Europe. But, that Joe, that also raises, raises, though, a good point from an investment standpoint, not only to make sure and avoid that, in our opinion, in your portfolio, emerging markets and international positions, because we haven't owned international positions or emerging market positions for a couple of years now. But but is that going to restrain some foreign investors into the domestic U.S. market? But but let's all kind of circle back to this. You know, we're still looking at the technical charts. We've been saying on past shows, we hit resistance on the 200-day line for the S&P 500. We're still above the 50-day moving average. And, Joe, I know you said either last show or the show before, we could be caught in a trading range for a period of time where we're bouncing between a support and a resistance level. Well, we see where the resistance level is now after this past week. Now we've got to find where the support is. But like I said, I had a prospective client meeting on Friday. If the S&P 500 was to retrace the 18% run-up we had from June 16th and we ran back down below 36.36 intraday on the S&P 500, that will be the first time since 1950 we have seen this level of retracement. I still personally think the Federal Reserve is going to be raising rates a half of 1% on September the 21st because their interest rate increases has a lagging effect. And we're already starting to see some pain and some destruction in the housing market. We're hearing more companies freezing hiring or laying people off. I know we have the employment report that's coming in a couple of weeks. So we're going to see if we continue to have strong job growth. But I just, I had several questions from clients this past week. Kyle, do you foresee a deeper, darker recession? And at this point in time, I don't because the employment side of their two-prong mandate has really keeping kind of that tide elevated a bit for that boat. Isn't that boat being the economy? So the employment number comes out this coming Friday. We're going to get August's reading. Um, okay. I think it's on September the 2nd. Okay. And then the week after that, or maybe it's 10 days after that, we're going to get CPI. CPI. So I'm not, I'm not ready to say we're not going to get another three-quarter percent increase. I'm not ready to say we're not because we still have another CPI number between now and the Fed meeting, which isn't going to happen until I think the last week of the quarter will be will – be, uh, when we get that next Fed meeting. So I'm not, I'm not ready to – we're going to get 50 – I think you can pretty much bet the house on it. Uh, 75 is going to be dependent on that CPI number. If it if it gives you a couple of ticks of a per tenth of a percent down, that ain't going to cut it. 
And so I, here's and the question, Jeff. And they go 75. Yeah, we got, Let, we got a little bit of time. Yeah, let's just see a mid-seven handle on the next CPI print. What would that do for the market? Let's say we cut seven, eight-tenths of a percent off inflation. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, we'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation and take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, I want to shift gears just a little bit as far as any portfolio changes we made this past week. We haven't. Didn't make any portfolio changes. We're still in our moderate allocations, whether in our asset builder account or individual stock and bond accounts. We have less than a 45% allocation to stocks. Still have plenty of powder dry to take advantage of buying opportunities. I want to see how Friday plays out going into the next week. Obviously, volume, second lightest volume day of the year. And we do know that we still have very light staffs uh, from all the money managers across the country. And that's just typically how things happen in August, where we're not going to see a real full staff of money managers back in until the Wednesday after Labor Day. So we still have uh, quite a few trading days where we're going to have very light staffs. So let's see how this plays out. Yes, Except at Davidson Capital Management. That's be- right. I'm sorry. That is, no, Go that's absolutely here. right. The A team is Watching always your working. Money. That's right. Is always working. Even when I was on vacation, had my laptop and made a trade. So <laughs> we're never off. Uh, but it's our life. So, so no changes there. But the trade that we did make two weeks ago where we increased our short position on the seven to 10 year treasury has played out nice as interest rates are back above 3%. So, uh, best position so far in all of our portfolios year to date by far. So I wanted just to tell a quick story. I had a, had a great prospect, uh, prospective client meeting uh, with a lovely couple on Friday. And I have to say, I had probably one of the best first questions I have ever received in a prospective client meeting. And the question that I was asked by this gentleman is he asked me, do you manage the money yourself in-house at Davidson Capital Management, or do you ship it to off to another firm to manage? And as all of our longtime listeners know and our clients know, we do all of the asset management in-house at Davidson Capital Management, where each and every one of our clients has a relationship, a personal relationship with their portfolio management team. I commended him, said it's one of the best questions, if not the best question I've ever received. And so these these prospective clients obviously have done a lot of great education and educating themselves to ask that question. And so it's just critically important for all of our listeners to know that all the investment management decisions made with our clients' assets in-house are being done by the people that you hear on the radio show each and every day here on the Money Wise Show, each and every Jenny, weekend, I should say. Did you want to add something, Joe? I thought, no, I mean, and, and Jeff was talking 
about a uh, prospect he met Friday, Jeff, and it, it it ties directly into the prospect meeting that you had. Right. Where you, you could answer that question right now. I mean, <laughs> so this client knew that his money was not being managed by the advisor because the advisor disclosed to them up front that no, I don't manage the money. I take a fee um, for facilitating the relationship in essence, but your money is being sent to another organization to make the day-to-day investment decisions. And and typically in this particular situation, it was a, a a broker. And, and we call those types of relationship wrap accounts. They call them other things at other, other organizations, but it's, it's all the same thing. There's an individual that's charged with the responsibility of being the marketing uh, relationship manager, relationship basically. manager. Thank you uh, of of the uh, relationship, but the money's managed by another organization that the client customer has absolutely no contact with. <clears throat> this is the way it's really done in the brokerage industry. Most most brokers don't manage their own money; they ship it off to someplace else, and it it has the effect of increasing the expenses for the in customer because you've got this middle person that you have to have to pay to facilitate the transaction. And in this instance, uh, the fee quoted was, was 120 basis points, 1.2%, which is 20% more than what we would charge, our maximum fee. So this, this client was already paying 20% more than they should have and had a middleman involved and no relationship with the, with the advisor whatsoever. The problem was is that the performance of this particular portfolio was horrific, to say the least. And upon further review, it was revealed some things that were not disclosed by the relationship manager, a.k.a. the broker, at the time the relationship was initiated, in that the uh, firm that was doing the management, allocating the assets among the various securities, had legal authority that was fully disclosed in their ADV disclosure document to allocate the client assets into securities that the advisory firm themselves had a financial interest, meaning they were allocating money into securities that the money manager themselves was also the advisor. So they were collecting an additional fee from the client to place their money in instruments that they also were managing. So the total fee structure was not 1.2%. It was 1.2% plus the internal fees and expenses of every instrument that the advisor put the client's money into. And it just so happens, well, it shouldn't be a big surprise, that 90-plus percent of the money was allocated to securities that the investment advisor was also the advisor of. So in the end, it raised their total fee structure by at least another percent. So now they've gone from 1.2% in fees to 2.3% plus in fees. This relationship is legal. It is totally legal for this advisor to do this because it was disclosed in their ADV. So as long as it's disclosed, 
there can be as many conflicts of interest as an advisor can get away with. And it's totally legal. And it's up to the customer to understand what's going on. And unfortunately, this customer didn't understand because the the broker slash relationship manager was never going to tell the customer this was going on. And they probably never got an ADV disclosure document from this other advisor because they didn't have a relationship with the other advisor. So the bottom line here is, ladies and gentlemen, I know we're running out of time, is if you're going to have someone managing your money, make sure it's someone that's actually doing the decisions. You have a relationship with that person, not some other organization that you have no relationship with. If you're paying for it, you have the relationship with the people that are managing your money. And if you're not sure, call us at Davidson Capital Management and we'll do some digging and find out who the who the organization is that's actually managing the money. And this is what we do as a part of our portfolio reviews and analysis. So take advantage of it. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of our break. We'll take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So now that we're in our second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, and again, like really wanting to use the second hour for investor education, uh, a topic that we have been discussing for the nine-plus years. Uh, we've had the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX. I, it's, it's a topic that I wanted to revisit, go into a little bit more detail about, and for any long-time listener of this program, they know uh, our disdain, our distaste, our dislike or I should say just straight out plain hatred of annuities of any way, shape, or any any shape and form. And so the reason why I've been motivated to, to talk more about this and go into a deeper investor education this on this weekend show is just here recently working with some prospective clients have been seeing more equity indexed annuities, which are the most dastardly of all annuity products out there, and wanted to really give the education and pretty much a blanket warning to any investor, any listener of this program thinking about getting involved in this type of product to not only get up and walk away, but to get up and run 
away. And so I want to just go into some education. So let's just start kind of from the very beginning. You know, what is an annuity? An annuity is a contract between you and an insurance company in which the company promises to make periodic payments to you starting immediately or at some future time. So if the payments are delayed, that's called a deferred annuity, and if the payments start immediate, it's called an immediate annuity. Bottom line, the definition of annuity is periodic payments. I mean, really, that's what it is. The key word in that statement that you just made, Kyle, is the word promise. Mm-hmm. It is not a guarantee. That's right. Now, there are, for whatever reason, the insurance industry is allowed to use that word, the G word, as part of the marketing pitch. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it is nothing more than a promise. Because as we've said uh, since the beginning of this show in 2005, there is only one only guaranteed investment, and that is government, U.S. government bonds, bills, and notes. That's right. That's the only guaranteed investment. Anything else is nothing more than a promise. It's a, and really, it's like you said, Jeff, it's a sales pitch. It's in the sales pitch because that the G word, as we call it, the get word guaranteed, gives the potential buyer that warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm protected under this, this blanket of cover, this blanket of guarantee, and that's that's not true in the world of annuities. So annuities really come in two types, fixed and variable. Now, a fixed annuity, the insurance company guarantees, quote-unquote, guarantees both the rate of return and the payout. A variable annuity's rate of return is not stable, and it varies with stock, bond, money market funds that you choose as investment options. And there is no guarantee that you will earn any return on your investment, and there is risk that you will lose money in the variable annuity contract. So those are just kind of the two basic, main basic annuities. Now we get over to what is an indexed or equity indexed annuity. The new marketing term that they're using now, Jeff and Dad, is a hybrid annuity, which is starting to show up at uh, at lunch and dinner seminars across the city, a hybrid annuity. This, the equity indexed annuity product mm-hmm. is on the radio as, as as it's almost as heavily marketed now as gold is i'd probably say in some instances more Jeff. I, you know i don't see i do not see on television a lot of pitches for equity indexed annuities but whether it's satellite radio whether it's terrestrial radio uh there are radio shows all across you know we we hear as we're driving across the state of texas there are probably Five equity indexed annuity based radio pitch shows for every one registered investment advisor uh, type show, like we have it here with uh, MoneyWise on KKTX. There, th- there'll be five others. Uh, we know of at least two or three in the San Antonio market that do nothing but pitch equity indexed annuities. Mm-hmm. And uh, we know for a fact in every large market in this state, there is a radio show either running on Saturday or Sunday whose one and only basis of running that show is to promote equity indexed annuities. And every show is just repetitive, 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 trying to drill in all their marketing techniques and some of the outrageous claims that they can make. And as we get further in this education, I'll explain why the salespeople 
of equity indexed annuities can make such outrageous claims in their sales pitches. So what is an equity indexed annuity? An EIA, for short, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. The return varies more than a fixed annuity, but not as much as a variable annuity. Now, I need to educate our listeners that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete against CDs. Now, Jeff, throughout the history of of the advent of CDs, are CDs known for being high rate of return givers? No. Earners? They're, they're, They're basically one step below government bonds in okay. terms of in terms of safety as a, I mean, and, and return and then return you know CDs are back if you buy a CD at a commercial bank and has FDIC insurance mm-hmm. and you buy the CD under the FDI insurance limits then you are covered by the FDIC insurance program if so, if that bank should fail so so with this in mind knowing that equity indexed annuities were created in the late 90s to compete with CDs, that should tell you right off the bat that your rate of return is going to be low. No matter what pitch the salesperson on the other end of the on the other side of the desk is giving you, know in the back of your mind these things were created to compete against CDs. And so you might be looking at a rate of return slightly higher. And when I say slight, I'm talking slightly higher than what you could get in a fixed annuity. And as we get further into the education, I know we're bumping up on a commercial break, you'll see that with a rate of return that might slightly be a little bit higher than a CD or slightly a little bit higher than a fixed annuity of why you would want to avoid these things like the plague when we really start to get into the guts of how these things are actually composed. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our education about equity indexed annuities and why you should avoid these things like the Black Plague, um, just going into the basics of what exactly it is, an equity indexed annuity, again, has characteristics of both a fixed and variable annuity. Uh, And again, these things were created back in the late 90s to compete against the returns of CDs. So if you're thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, you can know right off the bat, no matter what pitch the salesman gives you, that your rate of return might be a little bit higher than that of a CD. But as we get further into this education, you will see how illiquid these things are and how horrible these products are. And we're doing our best to educate our listeners to avoid this so we We'll stop seeing prospective clients coming into our office having bought these horrendous products. Um, so let's get back to the EIA. Now, equity indexed annuities offer a minimum rate of return, a rate of interest, and an interest rate linked to a market index. Uh, now, what is the guaranteed minimum rate? Well, typically the guaranteed minimum rate is at least 87.5% of the original premium paid. Uh, and 
that interest rate is going to vary depending upon insurance company of about 1% to 3%. I mean, that'll be your minimum rate of return of 1% to 3%. Now, remember, if you surrender the equity indexed annuity early, you will have to pay a significant surrender charge and a 10% tax penalty, which will reduce or eliminate any returns. And I wanted to talk about that. If you're funding annuities, and this goes for equity indexed annuities, fixed annuities, variable annuities, if you're funding annuities with after-tax dollars and you're pre-59 and a half, if you take out any money from that annuity, whether it's a full surrender, if it's a 10% free withdrawal, when you receive those dollars, a portion of those dollars would be considered gains and taxed as ordinary income, and you would have to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty. Now, the tax consequences of annuities are typically not disclosed by the salesperson. The salesperson only talks about how great the tax-deferred growth is, but they don't explain to you that when you pull money out of an annuity, how it's taxed, uh, really the detrimental tax effects it has on the way coming out. And that's something that everyone needs to keep in mind. What we have found, Jeff and I and Dad, what we have found when salespeople are selling annuities, they sell based on half-truths. They only tell you half of the story. They only tell you the good part of the story. They never tell you the bad part of the story because if they told you the bad part of the story, you would never sign on the dotted line. You would never, ever in a million years buy any type of an annuity product if they gave you the full truth about these products. And that's what we're here doing today is giving you the full truth about these products to really educate you so you know going in that if this product is pitched to you or positioned to you, you will get up and walk away from the table. So how good is this quote-unquote guarantee? As Jeff and I said earlier, guarantee is only as good as the insurance company that wrote it. So it's not a guarantee. It's a promise. And when it comes to these quote-unquote promises, something else that an annuity salesperson will not tell you is that the state of Texas has a state insurance trust where basically that trust is in place in case an insurance company goes out of business. Well, in the state of Texas, the maximum amount of restitution you could receive back from this trust fund at the, in the state of Texas if an insurance company that you had assets with went out of business is a quarter of a million dollars. So if you go and put a half a million, 600000 a million dollars, whether it be a fixed annuity, equity indexed annuity, or variable annuity, and this insurance company goes belly up, the most you could receive back from the state of Texas would be a quarter of a million dollars. Something else a salesperson is not going to tell you when they're selling you this product. And I can tell you this, during the financial crisis, if we as taxpayers hadn't bailed out AIG with a $186 billion bridge loan to cover their books, the annuity business as we know it would be dead. Now, you don't ever see any stories about that. Nope. We, we talk about it. I mean, we talk about it, but, but the, the fact of the matter is this is a... This is a secret part of the financial crisis that's never, ever discussed. That's right. And unfortunately, the salesmen that were pitching these products prior to the financial crisis really haven't changed their story. It's the same story. No, the financial crisis, Dad, actually gave them more fire for their sales pitch because annuities... Well, fear has got higher. Yeah, well, particularly equity-indexed annuities, they're sold based on fear. 
and really annuities in general, but especially equity indexed annuities are sold based on fear. So the 2008 financial crisis has done nothing but bolster equity indexed annuity sales because they can prey the salesman. Yes, and I use the word they can prey on your fear, on your uncomfortableness and say, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Client, I've got the product for you. All the upside of the S&P 500 with none of the downside. How could you go wrong? That is the sales pitch. That is a sales pitch, and it's a flat-out lie. And here's the, here is the the thing about that sales pitch. If you listen to it very carefully, and you hear that you'll hear, hear this on the radio shows that promote this product, all the upside, none of the downside. So it's a heads I win as an investor, and tails the insurance company loses. I want you. That doesn't exist. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. How does an organization stay in business if the markets go goes up ten percent? Well, you get ten percent. And if the market goes down ten percent, well, you get the guaranteed minimum rate of return, which might be one to three percent. So you you win either way. Think about that logically for a second. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And, and here's something else. Here's something else that's thrown into the sales pitch. Mr. and Ms. Client, I'm not making a commission. Yeah, that's. I don't make anything. I don't make anything on selling you this product. I'm doing this purely out of the goodness of my heart because I work for free. Right. That is another part they of the sales they don't go, pitch. They don't go quite that far, but, but the. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I, you, you may be. Sorry. You, you may be making it a little more dramatic. You may be making it a little more dramatic. But there isn't a line item on this on the quarterly statement that comes to the to the client that says sales commission because the sales commissions are paid directly from the insurance company into the salesperson's pocket. Okay, so getting back to equity indexed annuities, so how are the equity indexed annuity interest rates compounded, the rate of return compounded? Well, again, the indexed, when they talk about index, typically a lot of them use the S&P 500 and the index-linked gains depends on the particular combination of indexing features that the EIA uses. Now, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about participation rate, meaning how much of the linked index are you going to be participating in. So the participation rate determines how much of that gain in the index will be credited to the annuity. For an example, an insurance company might set the participation rate at 80%, which means that the annuity would be credited with 80% of the gain experienced by the index. Now, that sounds good. So if the S&P is up 10%, then well, theoretically you'd say, okay, well, I want to get 8%. That's right. Or some, a lot of equity indexed annuities talk about 100% participation. So you as the customer thinking, wow, I get 100% participation of the S&P 500 index, so I get all the upside, but then if it goes down and the market goes to zero or less than zero, I get the guaranteed minimum return. Man, what a great deal. I can't believe these products haven't been around forever. Why doesn't everyone own these? That's the good part. Let's actually get a little bit deeper and talk about what every equity indexed annuity has that's buried deep in their 100-plus page prospectus. They have what's called an interest rate cap. And what happens is equity indexed annuities put a cap on the upper limit of your return. And this cap is generally stated as a percentage. 
So let's say that this maximum rate of interest the annuity will earn, for example, you have a cap of, say, 4%. So the market goes up 10. The S&P goes up 10%. You're capped at 4. That's the maximum amount of money that you can make. That's the maximum amount of credit that can be credited back to your account. And I'm oversimplifying this because I don't want to just bore our listeners to sleep, but there are very complicated, convoluted mathematical equations that are used to create the interest rate that's credited to the account. And I can assure you it's not to the benefit of the policyholder. It's to the benefit of the insurance company that's providing and created the indexed annuity. And here's another little kicker. Equity indexed annuity companies pitch the interest rate caps. They pitch the participation rates. But guess what? How long do you think that those rates are guaranteed in a typical equity indexed annuity contract? Short periods of time. Less than a year. One year. One year. One year less. Equity indexed annuities have the ability, and most of them do this, that I've done research on, to adjust those guaranteed interest rate caps and participation rates after the first year. They reset them, and they do not have to notify you of them. So what they do is they get you with the teaser rates, get you to sign on the dotted line, get you locked up into extremely long surrender penalty periods, and then 12 months later, the rug is pulled out from underneath you and your equity indexed annuity. We're going to come to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us on our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about how insurance companies that sell equity indexed annuities link interest rates, or basically how your annuity is credited with a rate of return. We talked about the participation rates, how a lot of equity indexed annuities will pitch 100% participation in the linked index which sounds great, but then you get down to the part of the contract where it talks about the rate of return caps that the equity indexed annuity uh, basically has in place to where they might cap you at a maximum of a 2% rate of return per month. So if the market was up 5% in one month, you might only get two. Um, But again, before we went to the bottom of the hour break, what I have found in my research is that equity indexed annuities give you a one-year teaser rate to get you to sign on that dotted line, and then after 12 months of signing that contract, everything changes. Participation rate changes. Interest rate cap changes. And again, it's to the detriment of your account and to the betterment of the insurance company. And that is a sales pitch. That is a sales tactic. And I don't mean to steal any of your thunder, but there is is another teaser that draws clients in. Oh, thank you, Jeff, for bringing that up. That is the bonus that is given on the premium. And, and, And we use the word premium because an equity indexed annuity is not an investment vehicle. It is an insurance policy. 
and we'll talk about why that's important in just a little while. So when you're buying an annuity, the money you're putting into it is called a premium, just like if you were buying a life insurance policy. Uh, and so the one thing that we always say to, to anyone thinking about buying an equity indexed annuity, why would an insurance company, if this product is so good... All the upside, none, none of the, the downside. downside. Why would an insurance company need to motivate a buyer with a 10% or 15% upfront bonus? And I'm talking 10% of what you're investing. So if you're putting in $100,000 with a 10% bonus, they're going to say, Mr. and Mrs. Client, we're going to give you $110,000 of your original premium. So we're going to give you $10,000 free, $10,000 for free to buy this product. Now think about that. If this thing was as good as the salesman is making it out to be, why would they need to give you a bonus? It's all marketing. It's all marketing. That it's to get your sales juices going, so where you no, will go so inside and get out of line. Really get greed. I mean, how many how many right. investment products can you buy? I mean, if you were to buy a mutual fund, you go on the paper and oh, here's this Vanguard fund. Well, if I buy this Vanguard fund, they're going to give me an extra ten percent. If I put a hundred thousand dollars into it, it's now going to be worth a hundred and ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You see any are your mutual funds offering any, any sort of teasers to get you in or individual stocks? Heck no. No. This is the this is one of the only products that I know of that that in order to entice people to sign on the dotted line, they they sweeten the pot with these bonuses. But you must stay in that investment for the entire well, there's different there's different investing yeah. schedules. There's for different the investing, but but I can you can bet your bottom dollar yeah. that you're going to have to stay in this investment for an extended period of time to ever actually see any benefit from that bonus. When I say extended period of time, and we're talking ten years or more. Yeah, and we'll get to the surrender penalty penalty periods in just a second you know and again as i've i've said to anyone thinking about buying these if they have to entice you with free money if this thing is really that good as it's being presented they wouldn't have to give you anything well if they were really that good kyle why would we even need to be buying stocks and why would we need to be buying bonds why wouldn't you be buying mutual funds and why would all these other organizations in the united states that are selling uh, that are managing people's money. Why would why would we need to be spending all this time about trying to figure out what's going on in the market? So all we got to do is stick it in these equity index annuities. Going to get all the upside and none of the downside, and a bonus on top of it. And why would the majority of major insurance companies not offer this insurance product? And, and you and you bring up a good point uh, that of the twenty largest insurance companies in, in the country, that nineteen of them avoid it like the plague, and don't touch it with an 11-foot pole, let alone a 10-foot pole. And most equity-indexed annuity providers are smaller, lower credit quality insurance companies, primarily located in the Midwest. You'll see them in Iowa. You'll see them in Missouri. You'll see them in Kansas. You know, you don't see the MetLife's of the world. You don't see the Prudentials. You don't see um, the principles of the world getting involved in these types of products. New York Life. They don't sell these types. Now, they sell variable annuities, and we're not going to go there because we don't like those either, but... Uh, we're focusing primarily on the equity index annuities. And our listeners have probably heard us keep using the word product, product, product. Listeners have to understand, everyone has to understand, this is an insurance contract. This is not a security, which means that FINRA, 
which is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities and Exchange Commission do not police these products, which also means they do not police the words that are coming out of salesmen's mouths when they're selling these. It's up to every state board of insurance to police these. And I can tell you with past conversations I've personally had with the State Board of Insurance, I think they're really behind the curve. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Kyle, but haven't some of the major brokerage houses banned the sale of these types of investments? Well, in fact, FINRA, if you have a 7, Series 7, which is a license to sell financial security, stocks, bonds, options, what have you, um, they are really recommending you not sell these products and that if you do want to sell these products, you have to go through quite a few hoops to even get the authority to sell them. FINRA would prefer any financial salesperson, typical stockbroker, to not sell these products. And, in fact, there is an alert, an investor alert on the FINRA webpage. You can go to brokercheck.com or FINRA to actually read about the investor alerts on equity indexed annuities and how complex they are and how convoluted they are. And they're made that way and they're designed that way for a reason. So the salespeople that sell indexed annuities are not regulated by FINRA. They're not overseen by the Securities and Exchange Commission. They only answer to the State Board of Insurance, which means that in their marketing pitches, they can make some absolutely outrageous claims. And when they turn out not to be true, they simply get a minor slap on their hand from the State Board of Insurance. And just to kind of... For some of our listeners that uh, weren't listening to us in 2005, 2006, we actually turned into the State Board of Insurance a particular radio show that was promoting equity indexed annuities. And uh, in one show, in one in one hour, they had 26 noted violations in their sales practices and the sales pitches they were making. You know, continuing on EIAs, they carry extremely high fees and pay outrageous commissions to salespeople. In fact, I found a study conducted by two PhD mathematicians for a firm called Securities Litigators where they have found that approximately 20% of premium paid into an equity indexed annuity goes directly into the pocket of the insurance company that created the EIA into the sales force. And you keep saying EIA equity, equity indexed, indexed annuities. annuities. So if you're given so if you're buying an equity indexed annuity putting $100,000 into it, you can almost assure yourself that about $20,000 of that is going into the pocket of the salesperson and the insurance company that has created the product. And you might say, "Well, Kyle, I put in $100,000 and I've got $100,000 in my account." That is true. But guess what you do have? You have anywhere between 10 to 17 years of surrender penalty period. Yeah, you heard me right. 17 years. I'm reviewing accounts right now for a prospective client that has 17-year surrenders, which means that if you want to get out of this thing, you're going to be hit with a massive back-end sales charge to cover the huge amount of commissions paid to the salesperson that sold these things. Now, equity indexed annuities, again, because it's not an investment product, they can pay double-digit commissions to the people that sell them. Why do you think they're so popular for insurance agents? Why do you think they run radio shows all over the state, all over the country? Because they pay big commissions. That's right. 
Um, and so we, you know, we talked about the surrender p- penalty period. You know, I've done a bunch of research on multiple equity indexed annuities, and what I have found running numbers back, and in fact, I've I've seen some where numbers have been run back to 1950. I've seen numbers run back to 1962, and I can tell you that from the research I have done, you're looking at historical rates of return for some very popular equity indexed annuities that are out there right now being sold. Returns ranging anywhere from one and a half to two percent annualized per year. This is where we go back to the statement that we made in the first segment of this educational portion of the program that said that these equity indexed annuities over the long term don't re- return just maybe slightly more than you you might receive in a CD That's or, right. or government bond in, in the current interest rate environment. That's right. So let's talk about their uh, the extremely poor liquidity that equity indexed annuities provide. Now, all annuities, all annuities provide a 10% free withdrawal where you can take 10% of your money out without any kind of surrender penalties or what have you. But what happens if you lock up your retirement assets in an equity indexed annuity, variable annuity, fixed annuity, and God forbid you had an emergency and you need to get a hold of more than 10%? Well, in an equity indexed annuity, you could be hit with rear-end surrender charges 20% plus to get this money out. So there is extremely poor liquidity in equity indexed annuities. Coming up to our last commercial break, we're going to take the break. When we come back, I'll be wrapping up the equity indexed annuity education. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the break, I was talking about the lack of liquidity in equity-indexed annuities and really annuities in general, only allowing up to a 10% free withdrawal. Uh, Anything above that, particularly in equity-indexed annuities, you can be hit with substantial rear-end commissions or rear-end surrender charges, as we call them, or contingent deferred sales charges is another way uh, to describe them. So, again, they have a real lack of liquidity. Now, as I was talking about how extremely complicated these products are, you know, they're complicated to keep purchasers in the dark. So the salesperson can can continue to make outrageous claims and sell their perceived advantages to the purchaser, but because the product is so complex and you need to be a PhD in math and mathematics to figure them out, it, it, it makes it to where the purchaser doesn't have the ability to ask any questions because they were so complex and, op- and, opa- and opaque when it comes to, to how they actually are structured and how they work. And equity indexed annuity salespeople are really targeting the financially unsophisticated. Uh, because, again, once you sign on that dotted line and your 10-day or 15-day free look period is up, for the annuity, you're trapped. 
There's nothing else you can do. If you want out of this thing, you could possibly get hit with a 20-plus percent sales charge trying to get out of this thing. Uh, You know, and what, again, doing my research earlier this week, I ran across an insurance company out of Iowa that in the state of California, there's currently a class action lawsuit against them where they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. Now, for those of y'all that don't know, the RICO Act was used to break up racketeering and basically organized crime back in the 70s and 80s. And the fact that an equity indexed annuity provider in this company in particular has over $21 billion of assets, they're being accused of violating the RICO Act. That's pretty That's pretty significant, I would say, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yes. That someone's getting accused, and actually I believe they've already lost, uh, and they're now having to pay a huge settlement. And, and really what the, the lawsuit stemmed from was the targeting of elderly people to buy equity-indexed annuities. And that's really where this California class action lawsuit is really aimed at this particular insurance company was because of their very deceptive and really predatory sales practices that they were using in equity indexed annuities. I mean, predatory to the point that Chris Hansen of Dateline NBC did a, what was it, like a one-hour or two-hour expose on the deceptive sales practices of equity indexed annuities, and he's known for the catch a predator. Well, this is to catch a financial predator. It was because his mother had been approached by uh, this a salesperson. The salesperson. That's what got him into it. And and so somewhere out there in the internet, and this was from a few years ago. Yeah, it was several. Years this was ago. several years ago. And again, any longtime listener to this program know that we are disdain for annuities of all shapes and forms, but equity indexed annuities is what really gets me fired up because they are so worthless. Well, they're, they're in my the bluebonnet plague of all yeah, products of all, of all that products. we've ever come across. And, and, you know, we're doing our best to try to end the sales of these. But when you see these high commissions and because they're targeting unsophisticated investors, they get taken by these fantastic-sounding sales pitches and then realizing after they sign on that dotted line, whoops, I made a huge mistake, but it's going to cost me a fortune to get out of this thing and to fix my mistakes. We're trying to educate our listeners to avoid making the mistake in the first place. Has there been anyone in the last nine years since we've been doing this radio show that called our office that said that they had an annuity of some type and after getting a few questions answered and looking at a statement, realizing that they had an equity indexed annuity and then explaining to them that the markets did X and their particular investment did far less than X have we ever had anyone express their pleasure that they bought one of these years ago? No. In, in, in fact, the prospective client right now that I'm working on was just doing some analysis on their EIAs. Got an EIA that's had since around 2006. Since 2006, um, his performance return up 15%. Moderately allocated asset builder account at Davidson Capital Management, actively managed close to 90% after all fees after all fees and expenses that's a huge difference that's a huge difference when you annualize that number when you annualize that number out again they're making just above 
what a CD would return. But uh, I can almost assure you that the sales pitch being used was all of the upside, none of the downside. And I do know, and again, for education, this prospective client had told me that another big pitch to him was that annuities was the only way to shelter your assets from lawsuits. That is an absolute lie. There are a multitude of ways to shelter your assets from being sued and from liability. Being inside an IRA, inside of a 401K, inside any kind of retirement plan, that's a way to shelter annuities. You have family-limited partnerships. The last person that anyone should be asking about how do I shelter my assets from potential lawsuits is an insurance salesman. Amen. Amen. If you if you need to talk to a lawyer mm-hmm. about shielding assets from particular or, right. from from a lawsuit, that's the only person, in my opinion, that would be qualified to answer that question. You don't go ask your mechanic about a tax question. Yeah, that's right. You don't and, come and you, to, you, you, you don't you, come you, to us asking about a heart problem. That's right. You don't go to yeah. your doctor to get your teeth cleaned. Right. So I mean, really, when it comes down to the end of the day, anyone that's listening to this program that has even had the fleeting thought of buying a product like this, do yourself a huge favor. Pick up the phone, give us a call at 906-0070, and take 15 to 20 minutes out of your life to get an education about how these things work. And that's of any any type of annuity. Of any type of annuity. And I can tell you that we've had some calls, I've had some calls in the past, Jeff, of people that have heard this education that we've done in the past on annuities and they have thanked us for making that mistake in buying these types of products and you know i wanted to to thank all of our listeners to to sticking with us in the second hour of this weekend's money wise program to get this education because we want to see the ending of the sales of these products because they are no good for 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 nobody i mean they're they're no good period and there should be no reason for these things to be bought. So if you want to get an education, you give us a call. And with that, I would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And for my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.